thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to another edition of 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I am here with the legend himself. He's the co-founder of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys. He is the sensational Dr. Damien Christoph. Hi, Damo. Hello, Marcus. Great Damo. to be with you again. It's wonderful. Isn't, Looking forward to, da- to today. It's going to be great. This is exciting, Damo. Today, we are joined by royalty, not by someone just in the aging well field, but a legend in her own right in television, media, politics, and sociology. Patricia Edgar AM is an author a television producer, an educator, a sociologist, the founding director of the Australian Children's Television Foundation. She's best known in TV circles for formulating the codes for children's TV. This is fascinating to learn, Damo. Yeah, yeah. And, and through her work, Patricia has won multiple awards, including an Emmy. She has been involved with co-productions with the BBC and Disney and has a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Australian Film Institute. But today, Damo... We are chatting to Patricia about her latest book, In Praise of Aging, and fair to say, she has a fair bit to say on the topic. So without any further ado, it's a very warm welcome to you, Patricia Edgar. Thank you, Margaret, and and Damien. Patricia, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. You've you've written a wonderful book, um, In Praise of Aging, and there's so much to cover, but I suppose one of the big things that that you know, I really um, love uh, learning about is what you talk about, an ageing revolution. Um, you've said that you know, we're in this ageing revolution, but the leaders of our country haven't quite caught on yet. We actually don't have a minister for ageing, and, um, and there's still a long way to go. But where, you know, what do you believe this, I suppose, ageing revolution is going to bring, and how long do you think it's going to take to reach head office? <laughs> well, uh, I think it's... Um it's rolling along. It's, it's well underway in that. Uh, what's happened over the past century is that people have been given basically another 35 years for their life expectancy through medical science and the achievements um, in, in research areas. And yet we do not celebrate this. It's come to be, I mean, it's terrific achievement and uh, it is something that should be celebrated, but we've come to regard it as, as sort of doomsday on the horizon. The economists in particular are talking about the economic burden that older people are going to bring. The assumption is that they are not going to contribute to the workforce, that they cease contributing at this magical stage when they become old. Mm. And these things are simply not correct. The evidence is mounting that they are not correct. The reason it's going to change is that the baby boomers are coming through into the older age group and they really are not going to put up with these sorts of attitudes. They expect something more out of life. Do you think, Patricia, that there's an expectation that we, when we reach a certain age that we should retire, do you think that that is 
a good thing or a bad thing. I tend to think personally it's a bad thing. It kind of indicates that it's time to disengage, it's time to check out, it's time to just go about and you know, hitch your caravan to your car and take off around Australia. I don't think that at 60, my parents are ready to retire. Mentally, I think they are because it's always been that at 60 you retire. But I don't think that physically um, that that's where they're ready that they're ready to be at that, that point. You know, and certainly now that I'm 40, I think I can't even begin to think that in 20 years' time I might stop working. I want to continue to contribute. And, and we know that with... Uh, countries such as in Greece there's an island called Ikaria they have the greatest number of centenarians on the planet per capita and they all continue to contribute well into their 80s, 90s and 100s do you think that we're doing it wrong? I think that what you just said sort of hits a nail on the head in the sense that um, you know decades ago set retirement then 65. We have not changed that, even though people are living so much longer. And people lived to be about 60, 65. They retired, and they did not live long afterwards. Now, that's certainly not the pattern today. Mm, that's um, true. I, I mean, immediately the average age for women is is 82, Mm. for men not far behind. But uh, you, you will live longer. My grandchildren will live to be 100. And by the time we get to the end of this century, there are going to be more centenarians than there are babies born each year. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a big step. Huge, That's huge, huge demographic, and and you are absolutely right. Your parents have got a long, long way to go at sixty. Yeah. So people should not be thinking about closing down their lives at that stage. There's okay. just so much ahead. So Patricia, there's so many angles to go here, but one of the biggest ones I think is the whole um, notion of the aging population being a burden. On society, mm, I and, hate hearing that. and it, it's a phenomenal. Uh, I suppose again, it goes in so many different directions. But from what I've, I've heard you speak um, in Sydney recently, Patricia, and and some of your views on this is really mind blowing for what I would think a lot of our listeners to hear. So, can you maybe elaborate on on on, on your views on the aged population not being a burden on their children and their grandchildren? Because I think some of the stats and some of the, I suppose policies that may come to bear may be able to to take the heat off. Right. There are two main areas where they say that older people are going to be a burden. One is they're going to break the health system. I'll come back to that. The other is that they will not be productive. Once they reach 60, 65, their contribution is not really a worthwhile contribution. Now, both those assumptions are absolutely fallacious. Uh, In terms of productivity, there there are a million children who are looked after weekly by their grandparents. Uh, The volunteering work, a lot of the caring work, uh, a lot of the creative work is done, but it is not counted within GDP, which is purely an economic measure 
that that's to do with with paid workforce, and um, society cannot function without the sorts of things that older people are contributing to in large numbers. But the other assumptions about the workplace are that that uh, older people can't learn new things, that they don't want to stay in the workforce. They they are not prepared to move for a job. They're less reliable than young people. All I, those things that's the, the reverse, research isn't it? have shown are wrong. Yeah, They're that's wrong. absolutely wrong, yeah. So, so really, what what policies should be looking at in terms of work is just being more flexible. I mean, sure, a lot of people, certainly people who work physically, um, are more worn out. But if they could work flexible hours, if they could work maybe three days rather than five, and, and so on. Uh, they have knowledge and skills and talents that society needs, and we need these people to remain in the workforce. Economically, there is only going to be a problem if the assumptions that the economists seem to be cling, clinging to are sort of upheld, but they will change. Now, in terms of the health, Older people are responsible only for one-fifth of the increase in the health costs. And there are a lot of other issues within the health system that can be examined to make it much, much more efficient. Uh, There is certainly a growing body of evidence that older people are over-medicated, over-diagnosed, you know, we've recently, um, like yesterday, I read an article about the increase in diagnosis of ADHD children. It's gone from about um, three million to sixteen in in the US, and the pharmaceutical companies are encouraging the view that. Medication um, for sort of mental health, uh, all sorts of issues that are really not illnesses. They have to do with your feelings, yes. but they're being diagnosed as illnesses, and and huge costs are going into the pharmaceutical scheme. But I don't. Yeah, a, I, I, it does concern me too, Patricia. I can I can hear your concerns there, and it. You know, whilst it, it sometimes stinks of misdiagnosis or it, it stinks of you know medical misadventure or whatever it is or some kind of pharmaceutical you know um, over over control of of the state or of the country, it does definitely seem like that. There there appears to be more and more decisions being made that would have people turn towards drugs and surgery rather than living a healthy life so for example we see more and more taxes coming into our into into play on a daily basis that tax or don't support people who are aging or taking care of their body more money going into hospitals drugs and surgery and less money being spent on education about how to live well and, and contribute you know all the way through to your end and is that kind of where you're heading with this discussion yes, are you suggesting exactly. that we need to mix all that up yeah. and change that around the obesity um, crisis is certainly a crisis, and uh, 
obesity is going to be responsible for enormous cost to the health system. And what people have got to understand and be taught to understand and encouraged uh, to do is become active and the importance of activity in your life, right through your life. But the figure of people over 65 who do not exercise at all is around about 60%. Now, that's a pretty alarming figure. Because one one of the, the biggest reasons in the end for people's complications which lead to death is falls. And people become frail, Uh, they they lack the strength, they lack the core balance, and they fall. Mm. And then that leads to a whole, you know, disastrous scenario, which often leads to death. And and the way to counter it is exercise. That's such a great point, and sorry to cut you off, Marcus, I know you want to get in here, but I was talking to one of my... One of my great mates in New Zealand, who's a full-time researcher for the New Zealand College of Chiropractic over there, he's just completed a study which for the first time in history has shown that an intervention other than exercise um, benefits um, a reduction in the risk of falls in the elderly by 80%, and that's chiropractic. And what we seem seem to be finding in Australia, at least, is that there's this constant bombardment of the dangers of chiropractic as opposed to the benefits of it with the elderly. Um, even though, as this study almost goes to print in Nature, I think it's going to print in, it actually says that long-term chiropractic care in the elderly will decrease the risk of falls by up to 80%, which is significant. It's like having exercise. And that's it's very significant. And that's the key, is that, like you said, Patricia, that it's such a major um, challenge for older people to to keep their mobility, but as Damien just suggests, chiropractic care, but also exercise as well, is a very... Um, People need to take responsibility for their health if they're actually going to improve what they're going to, the quality of their of their years. Patricia, you spoke earlier about um, about uh, the health system and some of its drawbacks, and you do have a quite a personal story to tell about um, your own experience in the health system when you did reach, um, I think it was 70. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, you're 76 now. But um, when you turned 70, you had some experiences. Would you be kind enough to share them just so people listening can get a glimpse of just what's occurring in the health system from an ageing perspective? Sure. Um, it, it was a complete surprise to me, I've got to say, because um, I, I had breast cancer in my early 50s and my husband had prostate cancer. Um, we've recovered from both, but it's meant that we've been fairly vigilant about body maintenance and alert to the need to uh, look after ourselves, eat well, exercise well, and sort of check yourself out every now and again. Um, So at 70, uh, I was with my GP and and she said, uh, we won't be advising you any more that you are due for a pap smear. Women are notified every two years that it's time for another pap smear. And I said, well, why is that? And she just said, well, we just don't advise people over 70 anymore. Um, And my eyebrows went up and and she said, oh, you can come and have a pap smear if you wish. We just won't advise you. 
And so then, not long after, I'd have had a colonoscopy, a five-yearly colonoscopy, as my father had bowel cancer in his 70s. And the doctor said to me, you don't need to come back again. And I, I said, what? You know, my father had bowel cancer in his mid-70s. His response was, well, you can come back. That'll be fine. You can come back. And then the third thing, not long after, was uh, the breast cancer surgeon I'd seen for checkups every year for nearly 20 years said to me, you... Uh, that cancer is never going to recur. You don't need to come back for a mammogram. But um, I chaired the Breast Cancer Network of Australia for 10 years, so I knew quite a bit about the stats and the research. And I do know that if you've had breast cancer, your chance or your risk is greater of getting another one. And also, the older you get the risk increases. So this didn't make sense, so I challenged him. And Patricia, can I, you know, I suppose add to that, that so many people, not just in Australia, in the Western world, in the Eastern world, full stop, are living so far beyond their life expectancy. I mean, in Australia, we've got 79 for men and 83 for women, but there's plenty of women out there in their late 80s and 90s and 100s who have far, have far um, outlived their life expectancy. So to have, That's I suppose, right. that, uh, for want of a better term, ageism in the medical um, profession uh, doesn't, you know, bode well for, I suppose, our understanding of what life expectancy is because plenty of us out there know people that are living far beyond our, our life expectancy. So, and, and that's exactly what my book, In Praise of Aging, is about because I interviewed these people and looked at the research and the longevity and this move towards longevity is very clear. And so the health system has not caught up. Um, and in their sort of eagerness to reduce costs, they're kind of edging older people out of expensive um, costs as not being sort of worth it, um, that the payoff isn't good enough. And yet... If you go into a hospital and you are near death, they are likely, if there is no instruction to the contrary, um, to intervene with very expensive procedures that are futile to keep you alive for maybe another month or two or three. And that needs to be looked at and talked about too because... While people are living well and will live well up to 100, um, they don't want, most people do not want their life prolonged needlessly at that point. So the pattern that we should be looking for is a kind of stable, sort of healthy, active life with a very short morbidity at the end of it. That's a great and point. And so, it, you know, maybe a month or, or so, and, and that's the pattern we should be aiming for, and that's, it's achievable. 
That's a beautiful perspective. Look, I, on a daily basis, people practice voluntary euthanasia. Every single day they're doing it. I see them. I see them light up a cigarette in the car or they might be talking on their mobile <laughs> phone. You know, I consider that to be a voluntary euthanasia. But what I find um, interesting is that we try to keep people alive as long as we possibly can in a hospital setting where they don't see outside, they don't get the chance to play with their children or their grandchildren. Um, they're terminal and they're kept on these very expensive drugs. It seems to me to be an unethical thing to do to keep people alive against their will. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh, I, I reject it totally. I, don't, I just think it's wrong. Me too, Patricia. It is very, very wrong. And, and people um, should be encouraged to have their plan, to share it with their family and their doctor, and to insist on their rights. I mean... It, it should be nobody else's business how you deal with the end of your life. And uh, it, it's just a nonsense, a nonsense that society has got to face up to um, so that people can have a good death and, and not be caught up in all sorts of issues which just are going to make it agony and unpleasant and prolonged and stressful for the people left behind. Uh, Patricia, just one more question to, to finish up. Thank you so much. You've been an angel. But we'd love to know, in your own words, what do you view as the fundamentals or the major tips to be ageing well in today's world? The major tip? Yeah, and the fundamentals for ageing well. Look, it, it's, uh, it's very clear in the research, very clear in the people I talk to, um, and I'm sure from my own experience, attitude is all. Attitude is everything. The more negative you are about your own future and your own life, the more negative it will be. It's important to make an effort to look forward to the future, to plan, whether it's for tomorrow or for next week. And the thing that goes with that, remain in contact with your friends and family. Um, be sociable, be active. We are social beings and isolation is, is the path to death, really, because it leads to depression, it leads to loneliness and you need activity, you need company and you need to be able to enjoy life. And there are many, many ways that you can enjoy life in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I know people who, who do. Yeah. Wow. Patricia, you are an absolute living legend. Thank you so much for all of your insight <laughs> and for the wisdom that you have shared with us on 100 Not Out Today. We are supremely grateful. Thank you so much, Patricia. My pleasure. Nice to speak with you both. Thank you well, so Damo, much. We have run out of time on this edition of 100 Not Out, but remember, folks, we would always love to hear your feedback. You can provide it in any number of ways, but the best way is to go to our website at www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash 100 Not Out. Also, if you've liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out thewellnesscouch.com where you can view the entire range of wellness podcasts available, including the number one show, The Wellness Guys. Hey, Mark. So until next week, Marcus, yes, demo, demo. Hey, before you go, I want, yeah. to, I want to cut in right... Because I've loved, I've loved listening to Patricia... If people have loved listening to Patricia, of course they can go out and buy a book, right, in praise of ageing. 
Oh, definitely. I can't believe I forgot. We definitely do that, right? You can definitely do that. And Patricia <laughs> has got so much information out there. You could just search Patricia Edgar in Google and you'll find like 100,000 different links to her. She's written articles in The Age, she's in the newspapers, she's on the TV, she's written many books. There's plenty that you can do to, to find out more about Patricia and find out what she's doing. But her latest book, which is A Ripper, is in praise of ageing. And I'd encourage anybody who's interested in ageing well to go out and get that book. Please, and read it and enjoy it. Patricia, Damien, and all of our listeners, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. Hi, this is Dr. Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys and That Paleo Show. How would a pair of Vivo Barefoot Ultras feel on your feet this summer? These guys are awesome, and our good friends at Vivo are giving away one pair of their newest range to one lucky Wellness Couch member. Vivo Barefoot Shoes feature a puncture-resistant, flexible, non-pitched sole and a wide toe box which allows the foot to move as nature intended, as close to being barefoot as possible. All you have to do to be in the running is become a Wellness Couch member by midnight Sunday, December 22nd, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Membership is free and comes with a range of benefits. To become an official member of the couch, go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and enter your name and email address. Merry Christmas from all of us here at The Wellness Couch and may it be filled with great health and good times with those you love. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.